Let's take our Bibles, please, and let's head over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we continue in this series, if you're joining with us, that we have been doing on the life of David, a man after God's own heart. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning, if you would join me there, as we're doing a sermon this morning that's called Lifted Up from Low to Bar. As we, at times, think about names that are given, sometimes names are strange, like Wayne is just a strange name. But here are some others that I think are kind of strange that people are called Angus Patty or Howdy Ledbetter or Autumn Fogg or Hans Off, Preserved Fish, Your Highness, Felix Pye. I went to a seminary with a guy whose name was Timothy Buck. And his oldest son was born. He wanted to call him Timothy Buck II, or in other words, Timbuktu. And I look at that, and it's a little bit strange to do that to these poor kids. Or, or like this, Jedi Knight for a kid. Or Jurassic Park is somebody's name. Or Batman Ben Superman. Or here's a name for you, Bud Light. <laughs> we have this one, Crispy Bacon. Or he's a correspondent. What's his last name? Matthew Correspondent. Or a guy who does a book on neurology, Lord Brain. When you, you want to get some really funny names put together? Is Look at the wedding announcements when they put two names together, okay? You know, like Burgraf Carlson. All of a sudden it's this. Oh, I forgot this one. Sue Yu is a lawyer. <laughs> Poor Sap is a... It's a marriage name. Or Hardy Har. <laughs> Don't you want to add the next one? Hardy Har. Har. Yeah, there you go. Looney Ward. <laughs> or McDonald Burger. <laughs> okay, some names are funny. Some names are not funny. A few years ago, the Associated Press talked about 285 girls that they were all named the same in this area of India. They were all named the same name, which we put up here, Nakasu or Nakushi, the same idea, which literally means unwanted. And the reason they were called that is these 285 girls, like many, many others in that area, they would be abandoned by parents or grandparents because they, they weren't boys. They weren't going to be the ones who would help take care of the parents later on, or be able to light the funeral pyre that was so important, a man or a boy had to light that pyre for the parents. And so they abandoned these girls, and it still happens every year. Abortion of girls is much higher in that region than abortion of boys. And the reason is because she's a girl. And so these 285 girls were named unwanted. Well, the public officials thought this was terrible. We need to start changing our culture and the trend. So they had a renaming ceremony. And what they did is they had this public ceremony and called all these girls of different ages and said, you can pick your own new name. Get rid of the unwanted. And you get a sense of how excited they were to have their name changed. So some names are funny. Some are sad. Some names are just plain strange. Like the one we're going to talk about this morning, Mephibosheth. The name literally has this idea of getting rid of idols or no more shame. It shows up a couple times in the Bible. It is this one, only one time mentioned, it is the son of Saul who later on is taken and killed by the Gibeonites, mentioned only once. There is also a more famous Mephibosheth that is in the text we're talking about today. He is the grandson of Saul, King Saul. He is Saul, the son of Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul, and he would have been in line for the throne. 
if it hadn't been that God removed the throne from Saul because of his wickedness, his disobedience. His story is in 2 Samuel 9. To understand the story of, of this man, Mephibosheth, let's do a little bit of the background. Let's set the scene for it. That David now has been king about 15 years, 20 years of his 40-year reign. We're, we're somewhere in that region. He's halfway through. He's been settled in. Chapter 8 is filled with all kinds of successes. How he's got the country really expanding its territory. All the enemies are underfoot. And they're bringing tribute to him. We read last week, or we studied last week, how he wanted to make a temple for God. And God said, no, you're not going to be the man. You can help contribute to it, but you're not going to be the builder. And so he helped plan for it. But he has a desire to serve the Lord. And now here he is. He's been told when he couldn't build the temple, remember last week God said, I'll make a covenant with you. And even though I'm not going to let you build the temple, I will build your house. And God rehearsed what we call the Davidic covenant where God said, your son is going to build the house. Your son is going to have a throne. And his sons and his sons and his sons all the way down to Jesus Christ who is in the lineage of David. And his throne will, re- will reign forever and ever. And so God has said, David, I've been very gracious to you. I have given you victories. I have helped you to come to the throne. And David knew that. David said, who am I? Who is my house? We didn't deserve all your blessings. And I'm not going to be mad that you didn't let me build the temple because you've been so gracious to me. So David at this time is realizing God has blessed him beyond compare. And as he reflects upon God being gracious to him, the thought comes to his mind. Let me be gracious to somebody. How can I, who am being, being, being brought all these gifts of tribute from so many others, being given all these gifts by God, how can I... Give a gift to somebody else. How can I be gracious to somebody? And he says in this passage that he wants, in verse 1, is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kessed, loving kindness, grace. And he wants to do it particularly to somebody in the house of Saul. Somebody who has been, his, somebody in the family of his predecessor, that he says, okay, is there anybody left? Now, why would he want to do that with Saul's family? Why would he possibly? If, By the way, if you were one of his advisors, and he said this day, let's go and find somebody from Saul's family, and let's honor them. Let's, let, let's lift them up. You would have had a panic attack. Because you don't bring in the predecessor's kids or grandkids. Because they might usurp. They might create, they might have people who are still loyal to them. And in ancient countries, what did you do with the family of your predecessor? You kill them all off. Kill them all off. That was normal. So what he's asking to do is something very abnormal. Why does he want to do this to somebody in Saul's family? Remember, he's thinking about how God has blessed him. He wants to bless somebody else. You got to go back to 1 Samuel 20. Holding your finger right here, go back to 1 Samuel 20. Let's go back 15, 20 years into the story and let's read what happened. 15, 20 years earlier, plus some, we read that that there's a conversation between David and Jonathan, the next king to be if Saul's family were to stay on the throne. And Jonathan in here having this conversation and we read in 1 Samuel 20 verse 13, Jonathan is speaking. The Lord do so and much more to Jonathan, but if it please my father, Saul, to do evil, 
David, unto you. Then I will show it to you, and I will send you away that you may go in peace, and the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. And you, will, you shall not only, while yet I live, show me kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, The Lord even required at the hand of your enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So he made a covenant with him. He made a pact with him that he would one day bless his own family. In fact, a little bit later on in that same time period, Saul almost captures David. And Saul says to David, he says, David, I've been a fool. I shouldn't have been chasing you. Chapter 24, if you go over a couple of verses, uh, chapters. And Saul is saying, and now behold, verse 20 of chapter uh, 24. And now behold, I know well that you will become the king after me that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear now, therefore unto me by the Lord, that you will not cut off my generations, my seed after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul. And so he made a covenant. He made a promise. He had said years ago, I promise I will bless the house of Saul. The advisors probably are saying, don't do it. Don't do it. You're opening up Pandora's box. Don't bless him. There might be a revolution. That's your former enemy. He tried to kill you, Saul, that is. He tried to kill you. You don't have to keep your promise to him. You don't have to to follow through. But David said, no. I promised. Even though that guy was bad towards me, I'm going to keep my promise. And I'm going to do what I promised. Isn't that great character? To keep your promise? Now, you know, here's David. After all this time, he's saying, I want to do this. I, I want to promise. And I can't imagine what his advisors thought. I can tell you what some advisors told people in the past. One of our presidents, when he was running for president, FDR, in 1932, he was running for the first time to be elected president, and he made a famous speech. It's called his Pittsburgh speech. You don't remember it, I'm sure. Okay, But in this speech, he says, if I'm elected president... I will not raise taxes. Does it sound familiar? Okay. I won't increase the budget. I will decrease expenses. And he promised this in this, in this well-known speech. And um, he got elected. Four years go by. And four years later, he's running for office again. And he is proposing at this time all kinds of really great increases you know, deficit spending, get off the gold market, and he's making all these promises. So the Republican says, what about your Pittsburgh speech? What about the speech you made four years earlier? You know what the advisors to the president said? His, his political advisors said, deny you ever said it. In fact, they went on record denying he was even in Pittsburgh in 1932. Now, today, that would have been easily proven. At that time, it was his campaign just said, he was never there. He was never there. It's all made up by the Republican. David could have easily said, I never made the promise. It didn't happen. I never covenanted with Jonathan. I never covenanted with Saul. And just not keep his word. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what David does is he says, I want to bless one of Saul's household. Find somebody who knows Saul's family. So they search. The advisors bring in Ziba. Ziba, he's, he's a bad character. 
We'll, we'll talk about him later on, but he's a bad dude. He works for Saul's family, and he's basically profiting himself. He's, he's pocketing. He's got, if you read the text, he's got all kinds of servants, but he's supposed to be a servant. So he's taken Saul's land since Saul is gone and Jonathan is gone and most all the sons of, of Saul have been killed. He is taking their territory and he's living high in the hog as the steward, the one in charge of it all. And David brings him in and he says, is there anybody left at all? Anybody left in the family of Saul? And Ziba, who by the way, Ziba telling this to David is you know, hurting his own pocketbook. So you can hear this conversation. Well, there is. There's one. And he tells David in the story, as you jump down, he said, um, he said to the servants, you know, that he, there's one, one fellow. Oh, I've got to get to the right text. I'm sorry. I'm in, back in First Samuel. He says to him, um, well, Ziba said to the king, Jonathan has yet a son. But he's lame on his feet. But he's got a son. There's a son here. And Ziba goes on to tell the story. He says, here's how Mephibosheth, the last living descendant of Saul that they know of, here's how Mephibosheth became lame. And he tells the story about how 15, 20 years ago, when Saul was still the king, he was battling the Philistines. And David at that time was joining the Philistines and then got kicked out of their army. And he has his own problems with the invasion of his hometown. But in that battle where Saul is fighting, Jonathan is fighting with him, and the Philistines, they beat the Jews. And in that battle, Jonathan is killed. And then Saul is wounded by an archer. He wants to take his own life before he falls into the hands of the enemy, so he falls on a sword, trying to kill himself. And the result is the, the Jewish army is totally defeated, absolutely beaten. And we looked at this already a few weeks back that all the Jews fled from the cities and went into the hills and the Philistines came moving in. Well, back at the capital of Gilgal where Saul had his capital, they heard that, that Saul was beaten. They heard that Jonathan was killed and the other sons in battle. And there's a grandson back there, Jonathan's boy. His name is Mephibosheth. He's only five years old. The nurse has to get him out of there because surely the Philistines will come and kill the child. So she flees from the palace and when she's fleeing, we don't know if she falls, we don't know if some animal in a cart overturns or runs over the boy, we don't know. But there's an accident. The five-year-old is, he is injured and he becomes lame for life. And so here he is, this boy, He's, he not only is the nurse fleeing with this injured child, she goes out of the territory altogether. She goes to a land called Lodabar. Lodabar means land of nothingness. Land that is barren. And she goes to the house of somebody that, they, that Saul knew. His name is Maker. And she asks if he would provide refuge for her and the five-year-old child. And that's where Mephibosheth has been growing. He's been taken care of. He's not living with Ziba on grandpa's land. Ziba's got that all kind of tied up. Rather, he's living out of the nation on a border country, and he's unable to care for himself. He's lame on both feet. He's got to live as somebody taken care of totally by the government, the household of Maker. And David hears about it. And David says, okay, I want soldiers, whoever, go and fetch him. 
Come and bring Mephibosheth and get that boy. Now, now Mephibosheth at this time is about 20 years old. He's still lame. Can you imagine what he thought when there's the knock on the door and there's David's soldiers? What would you have thought? They're going to kill me. Nobody says anything. They just say, King David wants to see you. And nobody dare refuse King David because he's a powerhouse now in that region. Even make her. They're not going to revolt. And so can you imagine the days that Mephibosheth is riding on whatever cart? Can you imagine what he's thinking? I got one day, two days left. When I get to Jerusalem, David's going to kill me. And so he's coming, and nobody tells him the news. Nobody tells him what David is, has in this idea that David wants to show grace. And he finally gets there, and when he comes there, we know how he feels. He's, he's lame, but it says he falls on his face out of, out of uh, reverence towards David. But then David tells us exactly what Mephibosheth looked like, how he was acting. Because David says to him, stop fearing. In other words, as he came in on those crutches, they were shaking. It wasn't his knees knocking, it was the whole crutch and all. He thinks he's going to die. And David says to him in this text, David says, no more fearing. You know, it says in, in verse uh, 6 at the very end, he said, uh, Mephibosheth says, behold your servant. And David says, stop fearing, for I will surely show you grace. For Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore all the land of Saul, your father. I bet you Zeba kind of swallowed at that one. Okay. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, What is your servant? That you would look upon somebody like me. I'm a dead dog. Then the king said to Zeba, he said, I have given unto your master's son all that pertains to Saul and all his house, in parentheses, including where you're living, Zeba. And he goes on, Thou therefore and your sons and your sons, you're going to continue to till the land for him. In other words, you don't keep the prophets anymore. You shall bring in the fruits, and your master's son may have the fruit to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat always at my table. Then Ziba, who had 15 sons and 20 servants, Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will I do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He did eat continually at the king's table, but he continued to be lame on both of his feet. And so here he is, staying there. After David says, hey, I'm not going to kill you. I want to give you all this grace. I want to bless you. You're going to be like one of my own sons. You're going to stay here. And we read in the story as it just unfolds that he stays there a long time. In fact, 17 years later or 15 years later, whatever the exact day is, when Absalom revolts, Mephibosheth is still living in David's house at the end of David's reign. And so here he is benefited like that. Isn't it good for Mephibosheth that he had a friend like David? Here he is, unable, on a refugee, but David befriends him. It is good to have a friend like David. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking right now, man, I wish I had a friend like that. You know what? You do. You really do. Joseph Scriven, he knew this well. 
He is, as a young man, he grew up and he was studying theology. And then as he was wanting to serve the Lord in some type of preaching opportunity years ago, what happened is he was there living over in the uh, British Isles and he was engaged to be married. The day before the marriage, his fiancée drowned. Oh, he was brokenhearted. To get away from the pain and the agony, he said goodbye to his mom and he said, I'm going to go to Canada. He got to Canada and he's trying to reestablish himself. And as he was reestablishing himself, he met a young lady. He and the young lady fell in love. They planned the wedding day. And a week before the wedding, she got sick and died. He was brokenhearted. But he didn't give up his faith. He, he wanted to serve the Lord and he wanted to help. And so what he started doing is he started a ministry to the widows in his church. And he would go and chop wood. He would go and and get things for them and provide for them out of his own pocket and just try to be a real helper to others. He was doing such a good job. The story is told of two businessmen one day watching him and one of them said, I want to hire that guy. He says, he won't work for you. He only works for the poor and the destitute. He was showing grace time and time again. And then he got word that his mother was desperately ill. Well, he didn't have all kinds of funds. He was just working to provide his very essentials and to help out the widows. And so he sent his mom a note. He had written a poem. And he sent this as a poem to her to encourage her. The poem eventually got to her, and it did encourage her before she passed away. But this note was supposed to be very private, very personal, just between him and his mom. But a friend got a hold of it. And when his friend got a hold of it, his friend thought, this is beautiful. This should be put to music. And eventually it was. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. The song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You have such a friend. You have a friend that wants to bestow grace upon you. That wants to help you. And as I look at the story that we just recounted, what, what do we do with it? What do we do with this simple story of David showing grace to Mephibosheth? Well, obviously, if we're going to follow the example of those who were godly people, we want to be an individual who's willing to show grace to others. That's an obvious. But I think there's something more here because all texts definitely in some way, shape, or form, they point to Christ. The Bible's all about Christ. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And so as we read the text, is there anything in the story of David's friendship and grace to Mephibosheth that illustrates Christ's grace and friendship to us? Is there anything you could see? Oh my. As soon as you start writing down and saying, wow, the son of David has been gracious to me, just like David was to Mephibosheth, it is so so rich. So we look at it and just, just for our sake of just illustration this morning. David being Christ. Mephibosheth being like us. What do we see as parallels? What do we see as similarities? There are several of them that I want to just point out. Like Mephibosheth, you and I are in great need of our king's friendship and grace. We have a definite need a tremendous need. We have been kicked out of the palace of the Garden of Eden. Kicked out because of one of our ancestors 
sins. Just like Mephibosheth lost access to the palace because of his grandfather's sin and rebellion against God and the throne was taken away from Saul, so too as in Adam all die. And we're all a part of this group. We're all Mephibosheths. We're all outside of that promised home, kingdom, garden, whatever term you want to have. We're outside of that because of what an ancestor has done and then we follow through like Mephibosheth. Like Mephibosheth, we find ourselves in a spiritual Lodabar. We are in a spot where we are short of the glory of God. We haven't done anything that makes us to be prosperous, that makes us to be beautiful. We are like that refugee Mephibosheth that can't take care of himself. There we are in a land coming short of the glory of God far from the Lord, outside of His blessings, outside of His grace, and we're lame. We're spiritually lame. There is none righteous, no, not one in this room. None of us. None of us are able to do that which is in and of ourselves able to please God, to draw His attention, to catch His eye. In fact, our own good works are as filthy rags. They, they are stench-filled. They are stinky in the mind of God, in the nostrils of God. Though we come here and we look good and we sing well and we go through the motions, in reality, we are sinners. Every single one of us. And as sinners, we can't in and of ourselves make ourselves look beautiful and great and wonderful before the eyes of God. We are in desperate need of somebody to befriend us and to help us because it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saves us. Not by the works which we have done, lest any man should boast. It's all by the King's grace. It's all by His friendship. I don't deserve it, and neither do you, that God would forgive us our sins and show chesed towards us. Grace. It's amazing grace. Sweet is the sound, but we don't deserve it. We aren't that wonderful. In fact, just like Mephibosheth, we would be viewed by the, by the world and by God himself even as an enemy. David and Mephibosheth, they were on, you know, their families were at odds. The Bible tells us very clearly that we're like Mephibosheth. We are like a dead dog. And understand in Bible days, dogs were not domesticated. They were wild. They were, they were the despicable animal. And so when he says, I am like a dead dog, you are like, you know, modern day, you're like a dead rat. Something that's not pleasing. Something that you wouldn't want around you. He says, that's the way I am, David. In your eyes, I am like a dead dog. You don't deserve, I don't deserve to be here. And the Bible is very clear on this that you and I are his enemies, that we are dead in sins. We read, for when we were enemies, Christ by grace reconciled us. We read in scriptures that we were at one time, we were alienated and enemies of God Almighty. When I was, when I was raised in the church that I was raised, though I went to church and did all the sacraments and did those things, I was still at odds with God because I was doing it my way. 
I was trying to please God on my terms. I was confessing the sins that I wanted to confess. I wasn't following after God. I was one that was dead to him. As fact, I was dead in trespasses and sin. A dead person can't do something to all of a sudden earn favor. And he says, we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. We were dead in the sins. That's all of us here. Whether you like to admit it or not, this is how God viewed us. Enemies, dead in sin. Like Mephibosheth, a dead dog, undeserving of his grace. Nothing we could do to earn it. Nothing we could do to say, hey, listen, you know, God, here I am, here I am, bestow on me grace. The only reason grace was bestowed on us, like it was Mephibosheth, is because of a dead ancestor, a dead kinsman, I should say. He said, for Jonathan's sake, I will show you grace. Our kinsman who has given his life is Jesus Christ. And it's only because of Jesus Christ that God bestows any grace on us. It's not us. It's not our church. It's not our money. It's not our American nation that God would grace you and me. The only reason any grace has come our way, whether it be a morsel or a bucketful, is because of Jesus Christ who died, buried, and resurrected. It's not us. It's not us. It's not your parents. It's not your education. It's not your degrees. It's not our monies. It's Jesus who brings us grace because he gave us life. We aren't the ones that even sought after God. Mephibosheth never even sought after being, being restored to the palace. It was all the king's effort. It was the king that said, hey, let's go look for somebody to put grace upon. Find me somebody. It wasn't Mephibosheth that said, hey, here, here, here. I, he didn't send texts to David. He didn't send gifts to David. He was in hiding. He was in refuge. There is none righteous. There is none that seeks after God. Oh, yeah. Did you and I go to church before we were born again? Probably we did. But we weren't seeking after the God of the Bible. We were seeking after the God that was fitting our description, fitting our terms. I was after a God that I worshipped, supposedly, on those Sundays as a teenager. I went with the idea that God will do the, what I want him to do. That God will treat me the way I want him to treat me. Where I am calling the shots. That God owes it to me because I did this, this, or this, or the other thing. Uh-uh. When it comes to saying following the God of the Bible, recognizing he is holy, he is just, he will not let any sin into his presence that's not covered by the blood, that's not what most of us were after. That's not what we were seeking after. But God in his grace sought after us. God in his grace, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Aren't you glad he came and sought after you? Aren't you glad that Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, put on the cross, I will draw men to me. I will work in their hearts. I will bring them under conviction. I will have the Holy Spirit woo them. What grace. What grace that God would convict you and me. What grace that God gave us teachers that helped us to understand that we are sinners. 
What grace that God gave us life and opportunity to hear the truth that we needed a Savior and He was the one. What grace. That's why the Bible says we love Him because why? He loved us first. We didn't deserve it. We didn't seek after it. We are individuals that the only reason that we come here this morning and worship and say amazing grace when we've been there 10,000 years, the only reason we can sing that is not because of us. It's not because we're so good and we're so religious. It's because of Jesus Christ. The only reason we have hope of going to heaven is Jesus and Jesus only. Nothing of Mephibosheth attracted David. Nothing he could do would repay David. There's nothing here that attracts God without Christ in us. There's nothing we could do to repay him. But when he gives us his grace, what changes take place? What changes took place for Mephibosheth? All of a sudden, everything that Mephibosheth had lost, it's restored to him. The paradise lost to us because of Adam's sin and our sin. It's restored to us. The idea that we go from an enemy class to a family member, that's amazing. That's amazing grace that God looked at us at one time as a terrorist, opposed to him. And now he says, come and sit at my table and eat and gives us the assurance we are as his sons and daughters. That's grace. That's not our goodness. And all of a sudden, this broken relationship from Mephibosheth and the palace is broken. It's fixed. And Mephibosheth, four times in the verse, is told, you'll eat at the king's table. You'll eat at the king's table. You'll eat at the king's table. Hey, folk, we know that we're on our way to heaven, not because of our goodness, not because of our greatness, not because of our godliness, but by the grace of God. We know that we who believe in Jesus Christ have eternal life. It's because of Christ. It's not us. It's all about Christ that all of a sudden we enjoy peace and security. All of a sudden, he's providing for us. He's giving to us. He's giving us hope. Can you imagine living as a refugee in a house where you're just over your shoulder always wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Could David ever come after me? I've got to keep my name secret. I've got to keep my family secret. Can you imagine living a life of guilt? What about what I've done? What about the lies I've said? What about the cheating I've done? What about the, the illicit thoughts? What about the wickedness? And all of a sudden, with forgiveness and grace, he doesn't have to worry again. What peace God gives us when he forgives us our sin and we can say, Whew, our sins and our iniquities will he remember. That's grace. That's grace. And then he provides our needs. And then on top of it, he gets to sit at the table and sup with the king. Can you imagine what David's table sounded like? There they are. The dinner bell rings. Here comes Tamar. She comes in, beautiful, the daughter of the king. And she is a lovely woman. She comes in, sits at the table. Then comes his other sons. Here they come, the princes, the royalty, 
Some of them might be gorgeous and beautiful like Absalom, proud of his appearance, and they gather around the table and they hear one another talk and they're, they're enjoying all of the royal banquet. And then they hear the thump, 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 thump. And they turn and look and here he is, the cripple. The lame one thumping his way to the king's table. And David says, sit right here by me. You're one of my sons. That's grace. That's grace. That God would, that God would say, hey, you who are spiritually lame, thump your way to my table. You can eat with me. In fact, do you remember Revelation 3.10? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him. There's a story out of ancient, ancient Middle East about a king who periodically, he was one of these weird guys that wanted to see how commoners lived. And so periodically he would dress down and then he would go out and just kind of be in the marketplace, be in the crowd just to get a sense of what it was like, never revealing who he was. And so one day, he's walking around and he sees this cellar place off the side street. And so he goes down, 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 down. And there in the bottom of this building, there was a furnace. And there was an old man there. And this old man, just as feeble as he was, he was stoking the furnace. And periodically throwing the logs on. The king started talking with him. And this old man would tell about his family and tell, talk about this, that, and the other thing. The king enjoyed his company. So the king went back to the palace, and a few days later he wanted to go out, but he wanted to see the old man again. This happened multiple times. The king never told him who he was, but he came and visited the old man several times. And finally, after becoming friends and really liking the old man, the, the king said, I'm going to tell him who I am. And surely when I tell him who I am, He's going to want something from me and I'll give it to him because I really like the guy. And so the king went down into that cellar area and he's sitting there by the old man and he breaks the news to this old man that he's the king, confirms it with some, some jewels that he had brought with him and different, different items to prove himself. And the old man just sat there dumbstruck, awed. And the king said, so, is there anything you would like me to give you? Not a thing. <laughs> You're down here, don't you want? I, I, can, I can make you rich. I can give you a house. What do you mean you don't want anything? You have given me the very best thing you could give me. You've given me your fellowship and friendship. My friend, God's given us the very best thing he could possibly give us. He's given us grace so we can sup with him. He doesn't need to give us all kinds of riches and wealth and all those things. He's given himself only by grace, just by grace. We can enjoy the king's grace and friendship for a long time. Do you remember how it comes up in the story? He says, you'll eat at my table continually. You will eat always at my table. You will eat continually at the king's table. And for you and I, I give unto you what kind of life? Eternal life. And you shall never perish. Amazing. Amazing. So what do you do with it? 
How do you get it? How did Mephibosheth, all of a sudden, he walks in the palace and David says, I want to do this for you. What does Mephibosheth have to do? Nothing. All he has to do is accept the invitation, the forgiveness, the, the grace. Just accept it. He admits he doesn't deserve it. He makes it clear that you don't owe me, David. He makes it clear that I'm not that good and I'm not going to be able to repay you. But boy, am I glad you did this for me. What do you need to do? You need to do a Mephibosheth. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You're in need of grace. There's nothing that you can do to get rid of your sin, your lameness spiritually, other than ask the King of heaven to bestow grace on you that Jesus Christ bought when he gave his life at Calvary. That's all you do. You just come to the Lord. And then what does he do? He gives it to you. So in this story, where does that lead me? Well, since I at 16 accepted Jesus as my Savior and said for the first time when I was 16, it's not going to church, it's not the good works, it's not following the priests, it is accepting Christ to be my Savior, repenting of my sin, confessing to him that I don't deserve his grace, but thank you for giving it to me. And calling upon the name of the Lord, I got saved. That's what the Bible says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Where should that leave me? Thankful and loyal to the king. Just the way David, Mephibosheth was to David. That's where it should leave you this morning. If you've accepted Christ, it should leave you thankful and loyal. Are you? Are you? Well, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching by live stream. And you have yet to accept God's grace. You're still trying to be good enough. You're still insistent that you're not a sinner. You're still convinced that you'll get to heaven by mom and dad or somebody else. But you realize right now, wait a minute, it's Jesus and Jesus only. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by Him. Then what you need to do is you need to accept Christ's offer of forgiveness and grace. Call upon Him. You need to come just as you are. Just as you are. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this morning... You who are born again, you listen to the words you sing and from your heart, you go, that's me, that's me. Oh, and thank God that he took me just as I am. And while we're singing, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you have this gift of grace so that you can have a home in heaven, then I'm going to invite you to do something. Just get up. Just get up. Head over towards this door. We'll have staff there. They'll get somebody to talk to you from the Bible to show you what you need to pray, how you need to come to Christ just as you are this morning. Come to Him. Come to Him. Don't walk away thinking that you're on your own. Jesus is your best friend, waiting and wanting to give you of His grace if you come just as you are. We sing. You go and talk to somebody as we sing about God's grace that he gives us just as when we come as we are. Father, why?
why would you forgive us? Why would you heal us and mend us? We don't deserve it. But praise God you did. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving my friends. Thank you for redeeming us from damnation. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us not to get used to it. Help us not to take, grant, take it for granted. Help us to be moved by the fact that you gave grace to us. Thank you. Thank you for this amazing grace. Help it to be always a sweet, sweet sound in our hearts. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you tonight.